Hello, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hey guys, we're back for another week. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's double dose of episodes. I enjoyed doing a two-parter. I'll definitely do more. Not this week, though. I don't know if I could do two back-to-back yet. There's a lot of work, but there will be more one day. Just wait. So I don't think I have anything else to tell you or talk about. So let's just, let's just dive right in. Yeah. This week we are going back to Australia and we are going to travel along the Great Ocean Road and discuss the tragic murders of the Crawford family. This one is rough. I'm warning you all now. This case involves children which always makes me taste vomit a little in my mouth um this case is a little worse than normal kid cases too because it's a family and yeah you're gonna hear the details and it's it's a lot um this is just me warning all of you this case is going to be rough i mean i was having a hard time when i was just doing the research so i know i'm gonna have a hard time telling you If you don't want to hear about the horrific children murders, you should probably skip this episode. I'm just letting you know. If you're still here, let's go. Our crimes are going to take place near Melbourne. The month is July. I almost said, ooh, hot, but this is Australia, so that's winter. Ooh, cold. Uh, So July, Melbourne. Now we're not just traveling to Australia this week, guys. We are also traveling back in time. Back to yesteryear. The year is 1970. Ah, didn't that sound nice? It's not nice in this case. Now, we're going to be traveling along the Great Ocean Road. If you ever get a chance to go on that road, do it. It is one of the best road trips you will ever take in your life. There's so much scenery, so much to see. It's just, it's just beautiful. Anyway, before we get to the beautiful scenery and maybe some not so beautiful scenery along the Great Ocean Road, we're going to take a little bitty side trip to Glenroy, which is Melbourne, and it's a couple hours away. And on the morning of July 2nd, 1970, Brenda Connor knocked on her friend Catherine Crawford's door. Catherine Crawford was 13 years old, and her and Brenda walked to school most mornings. At first, when I read this, I was like, why do they have school in July? That's weird. And then I remembered that it was winter, and also I don't think they take as long of a break as we do here in America. I should have Googled that. It's not really pertinent to this case. I just just came across it as I was saying it to you guys. But yeah, school in July. Here in America, that just sounds strange. Anyway, Brenda goes to her friend Catherine's house, knocks on the door. Catherine's father, Elmer Crawford, opens the door. And she said he only opened it a little bit, like where all she could see were like his hands and part of his face, which I'm here to tell you, if anybody ever opens a door like that to you, they're hiding something. It might be something that's none of your business. It might not be a murder, but they're definitely hiding something. 
it might just be a messy room. But just know, if they open the door like that, they're hiding something. Anyway, he opens it just this little crack, basically. And he tells Brenda, oh, Catherine's not going to school today. I think she's got the flu. You know, she's sick. Now, of course, Brenda was like, okay. And you don't think anything of it if you go to get your friend for school. And her dad says, hey, yeah, sorry, she's sick. You'd be like, oh, okay. I'll grab her homework for her. Thanks. And she she walked away, went off to school. Little Brenda is likely the last person who ever spoke to Elmer Crawford. Dun, dun, dun. How'd you like that for drama, guys? Now, now we're going to get back to the Great Ocean Road. Some 200 plus kilometers away from this house. Some sightseers were exploring along the Great Ocean Road because I'm telling you guys, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Just everyone en masse, go there, drive it. You'll love it. So these sightseers were looking around a place called Lockard Gorge. It's basically, as it sounds, it's a big gorge and there's a beautiful beach you can go down to. It's really cool. So these sightseers are up looking at the gorge, taking pictures, just admiring the beauty that is nature, right? And then they see something that's not quite so beautiful, not so natural, one might say. Uh, yeah, the afternoon about 1.30, they notice that there is a car teetering on a ledge just below. A whole ass car, like had gone off the cliff, but had gotten caught on a ledge. Of course, they called the police because that's what you're supposed to do in this situation. Now, because the car had gone off the cliff and was down on a ledge, the police couldn't get to it right away because they needed cliff rescuers. They had to, you know, abseil, repel, all that stuff, get down there. And then I don't even know how they winched the car up, I guess. I don't. Chained it up somehow. They got the car up eventually. But this wasn't like a, oh, we found a car. Two minutes later, we're looking inside it. So they can't get down to it right away or get inside it. But they were able to track down the owner, you know, run the registration. This car, a 1956 Holden, belonged to, you guessed it, 40-year-old Elmer Crawford. You know, the guy who's busy that morning telling little Brenda that Catherine had the flu. Yeah, this was his car. Elmer lived, like I said, in Glenroy, which was a couple hours away from where this car was found. Elmer lived with his 35-year-old wife, Therese, and Elmer and Therese had three children, 13-year-old Catherine, 8-year-old James, and 6-year-old Karen. I'm going to post a picture of Therese and the kids. They're an adorable little family. They, they look like anybody's family. Like if I went down and rummaged through my grandmother's photo albums, I could probably find the exact same picture. They look like just regular people, really cute family, nice looking kids. It's really sad what happened. So they found the car, like I said, around 1.30 in the afternoon. And it wasn't until about 6.20 that a cop showed up at the Crawford residence, you know, to talk, see what was going on. At this point, they have not had a chance to look inside the car yet. They just know the car's down there. They know it's registered to Elmer. So this cop knocks on the door. Nobody answers. Well, at this point, they don't have any reason to go inside the home. They don't have any probable cause or anything like that. So this cop left. And sure, 
knowing what happened, you just want to scream, no, don't leave. Get your ass in there and arrest this pig. But like I said, at this point, they don't know anything. They just have a car, nothing else. They don't know what's going on. So yeah, the cop left because you can't just bust into people's houses. Want to know what was likely going on inside the home while the cop was knocking on the door? Elmer was probably inside cleaning up blood. Uh, say what now? He was probably inside his home scrubbing up pools of human blood while the police were knocking on his door. I mean, that's what I'm usually doing when police knock on my door. I don't know about you. Not weird at all. Around 10 p.m., the cops come back to the Crawford house because they still haven't gotten all the way inside the car, but they've already already noticed a few startling things, one might say. Things that maybe aren't normally in a car. What kind of things, you ask? Well, they, they noticed a rifle, which, you know, not completely unheard of. But then they also noticed blood in the car. Hmm, this is not sounding good, guys. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't normally have blood in my car. In fact, one of the rules when you ride in my car is no bodily fluids, and that includes blood. So, yeah, this is seeming a little strange. So they go back to the house, knock on the door. Once again, no one answers. Well, this time no one answered. They're like, "Uh uh-uh. We got probable cause. We're going the fuck in. So the cops bust in inside the house. They found some real suspicious stuff, guys. First, they noticed a still foaming bottle of carpet cleaner on a table. Then there was a liquid, probably the cleaner, over trails of blood in the hallway. Wow. Then they find blood-stained mattresses and blood-stained sheets. Uh Uh-oh, guys, I'm real scared. Then they found what they later realized was a homemade electrocution device. This device consisted of about 15 meters, so that'd be, what, about 45 feet or so, maybe 50 feet for all the non-metrics out there, because it's just America. Anyway, this long-ass electrical cord with a plug on one end, an extension cord on the other, And then at the end, the main cord split into five smaller cords, and each of these cords had an alligator clip on the end. If you're not sure what an alligator clip is, just think of jumper cables for when your car battery dies. The clips on the ends of those jumper cables are alligator clips. So, you know, just big, strong, massive clips. Yeah, that that was his homemade electrocution device, guys. And I'm going to tell you how he used it, and it's real gross and gnarly. So the next morning, the police finally get inside that car because there was nobody at the house. Found all this blood, found the lame-ass attempt to clean up, but nobody, nobody's there. So they get inside the car and inside the car, they found four pajama-clad bodies. The bodies were those of Therese, Catherine, James, and little Karen. Now, this is where the big trigger warning comes in. I'm gonna tell you how they were killed. It's horrific and disgusting. And if you don't want to hear the gnarly details, skip ahead maybe 30 seconds or so. Okay, that was your trigger warning. Therese had been electrocuted. It's believed Elmer attached the alligator clips to her ears while she slept. He attached alligator clips to her ears and electrocuted her. Oh, I'm just imagining, I don't know anybody listening if they've never 
wore clip-in earrings, like before your ears are pierced. And those hurt. And they're not even, you know, that's just a little pinch. I can't even imagine just an alligator clip. I feel like that would just rip off your ear like Mike Tyson's teeth. Um, But yeah, just clipped them to her ears and electrocuted her. Oh, then Catherine and James were electrocuted in the same way. This man electrocuted two small children as they slept. And again, not only did he electrocute them, but he electrocuted them by attaching alligator clips to their ears. Who the fuck? Like, what kind of sick mind comes up with that? I I can't even... I know this is a podcast, but I, I literally have no words. I just don't know what to say about that. After Elmer electrocuted Catherine and James, he also beat them with a hammer. And now I'm sure you're wondering about little six-year-old Karen, and I would love to tell you that she was spared, but as I already told you, her body was in the car. Karen was not electrocuted. Instead, Elmer beat Karen to death with a hammer. The hammer was found in the car with the bodies. He beat a six-year-old with a hammer to death. Ugh. And not only, like, it's bad enough you did that to anybody, but a small child, and not even that, it's your own child who probably loved you, trusted you, and that's that's what you're going to do. I mean, have you ever been around little children? Like when a little child loves you, they will do pretty much anything. They love you. They, he could have had her do anything. And instead he beat her with a hammer. Ugh. And after Elmer committed these gruesome, horrific acts, he calmly wrapped their bodies in blankets and stacked them up in the back of his car. Then he drove a few hours to Lockhart Gorge just drove a few hours with his family's murdered bodies in the back of the car. It's like, got everything for the road trip? Oh yeah, I got the snacks, got the music, got the dead bodies, got the direction. Like, what? That's what always kills me about these cases. is isn't even so much the crime usually. It's what they do after the crime. I don't understand it. And when he got to Lockhart Gorge, his plan was to shoved the car off to sea, you know, with the bodies in it. Most people think that one of the reasons he beat all the children with the hammer and not Therese is because in case it was found, he wanted people to think that she had beat her own children and then killed herself because he's a piece of shit and he wants to blame other people like a piece of shit. Well, when he got to Lockhart Gorge to push the car off the cliff, He noticed there was a huge drainage ditch that would like get in the way, like the car wouldn't be able to roll over it. But don't worry, guys, Elmer was determined. So he got some rocks and built a little bridge over the drainage ditch so he could continue to roll the car off a cliff. What? So I just, this asshat murdered his whole family, drove for hours with their bodies in the car. Then he took the time to build a fucking bridge like he's playing with a Lego set? Again, no words. No words to describe how evil and fucked up this guy is. No words to describe how much I hate his fucking guts. There just aren't. And to also hammer home the 
my wife went nuts and killed our children and then herself sort of theory in case this was ever found. He ran a hose from the exhaust pipe to the driver's side window, like a little crack in the window. That way, you know, it would look like she'd bashed all the children and then killed herself. And then he gave the car a big push into the ocean, or so he thought. Because like I said, it got stuck on a ledge. Hooray for the ledge. Guys, the ledge is the hero of this story. Yay, ledge. But also, I was confused by his plan where he had them all wrapped in blankets in the back, but then he wanted it to seem like his wife had done it and then drove the car off the cliff. Like, sir, how how did she drive the car off the cliff wrapped in a blanket in the back seat? He, He didn't think that through at all. But these killers never do because they're all dumbasses. Somehow trying to blame your poor wife on the murder of your children that you just committed makes him even worse. Ugh, hate him. So now let's talk motive, right? Why would this seemingly mild-mannered family man murder his children and his wife? Well, there are a couple, couple of good theories, okay? One theory is that the couple disagreed about their unborn child. That's right. I hadn't mentioned to you yet, but Therese was about two months pregnant at the time of the murder. Yeah, he killed a pregnant wife and their three young children. Again, somehow, just keeps getting worse and worse. What a piece of shit. Now, police think that the couple may have disagreed about how to handle the pregnancy. In the Crawford home, they found a half-written letter Therese had written to her family. And in the letter... Therese revealed that she wasn't super thrilled about this pregnancy because Therese had actually suffered really bad postpartum depression with all three of her other children and also just three kids. That's already a lot. And then a fourth one. So yeah, she wasn't quite so, so psyched about it, which is fine. And next to the letter was an article written by a right to life activist. And Also, Therese was Catholic, so most people think she probably didn't believe in abortion. So that's one motive going on. Police think maybe the couple disagreed about how to handle the pregnancy. Like, maybe he wanted it terminated, she didn't. We're not sure. Now, another possible motive, and this is the one I like, is that old standard, money. Therese and Elmer, curiously, had drafted new wills just a few weeks before the murders. According to the wills, Elmer stood to inherit quite a bit in the event of his wife's death. Hmm, how convenient for Elmer. And another money factor at play was theft and embezzlement. I guess it's not embezzlement if it's stuff, but theft from his workplace. Police found evidence around the house that Elmer had actually been stealing from his workplace for years and selling the stolen goods on the side. So one possible motive is that Therese found out about the theft and then threatened to expose him. Honestly, the whole wills being drafted weeks before the murder, that's the only part I'm looking at going, that seems weird. I feel like it's money was the motive. But I don't know about the whole theft thing. I mean, I believe he was stealing. I just don't know about the, she threatened to expose him. I think he was just like, hey, babe, let's draft new wills. And the whole time he was planning to murder her. And know how I know he was planning it? Not only had he drafted new wills weeks before, he had also taken the backseat of his car out. 
way before the murders. That way, he could stack the bodies up easier in the back. So for weeks, this guy was just hanging out with his wife, probably playing with his children, being Mr. Dad, Mr. Husband, and the whole time, he's just thinking about murdering them. I don't, I don't understand how your brain works that way. Like how you can just shut it off and on like that. Hmm. It's a lot. And honestly, that whole, the wills and the car seat, I'm like, this is some premeditated bullshit. And I think it was all about money personally. So I'm sure you're wondering what happened to Mr. Criminal Mastermind. Well, here's the thing, guys. You know, I said when they came to the house that second time, no one was there. Yeah, nobody knows what happened to him. He went missing after the murders in 1970, and nobody knows where he is. He's never been seen. Now, I say that, but the police have not given up on this search, okay? Not in the slightest. In 1994, so 24 years after the murders, a woman who actually knew Elmer Crawford, like this wasn't a stranger, a woman who knew him, saw him in Western Australia. She approached him like, oh, hey, you know, there's Elmer. I'm gonna go say hi, the way you do when you see someone you know. She went up to him, started talking to him, and this man claimed that he was not Elmer Crawford, didn't know who she was, said he was a tourist from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. If it was just a stranger who was like, that dude looks like the, you know, wanted posters or something, I'd be like, okay, maybe. But this lady knew Elmer Crawford. I feel like you don't just go up and talk to some random asshole at the store or wherever because they sort of look like someone you know. So yeah, the police agreed with me and they went out there looking but could not find anything. Then in 2005, so that's how long this has been going on, a body in a Texas morgue showed up that looked like it might be Elmer Crawford. This man had a bunch of different IDs on him, bunch of different aliases. He had damaged his fingerprints, which I didn't even know that was possible, but I googled it and it's like a thing you can do. So clearly I'm not a criminal mastermind. I just thought you wore gloves. Anyway, this corpse, this body in the morgue matched um, what facial recognition and like the aging software thought Elmer would look like at that time. Same face shape, same eye color. They're like, holy shit, we found him. I mean, too bad he's dead, but we found him. They just needed to test the corpse against familial DNA, but they didn't have any Crawford relatives to compare the corpse's DNA to. Damn, so close. Don't worry, they didn't give up. A cop at the time actually even said, if we have to, we will exhume one of those children. Like, we need to know if this is him. And this is how much they were not giving up on this case. In 2008, a hundred thousand dollar reward was offered for information that would lead to Elmer being found. So 38 years after the murder, this huge ass reward is being offered. I'm like, yes, get it, cops. Of course, as per usual, this led to a bunch of tips. Now, obviously, a lot of the tips were bullshit, which Again, that's a whole other psyche that I would like to explore someday. People that call with fake tips to the cops. I'm like, why? Why are you wasting? It's not funny. It's not cute. I don't. What is the motivation here? But anyway, they get all these bogus tips, but they got a few that they were like, no, this seems legit. 
And police even traveled to Western Australia again to investigate some of these tips, these sightings, but they could never find the man. So still, no luck. Then, in 2010, a Crawford relative was finally tracked down. Guys, it's happening. They're going to test that corpse's DNA, and that's what they did. They compared the relative's DNA to the Texas corpse, and that corpse was not Elmer Crawford. What the fuck? I so wanted it to be him. When I was doing the research, I was like, yes, but it's not him. But then I want to know about that Texas corpse, too. Why'd they have no fingerprints and a bunch of different IDs? What are they up to? But anyway, no sign of Elmer. Still don't know where he is. In 2017, so only five years ago, and again, this would be, what, 47 years after the murder? Yeah, I had to do math in my head real quick. I think I did it right. They're still looking. They got a tip that sent them to Northern Australia. They went, looked into it, still didn't find him. And unfortunately, guys, that's that's where we are with this case. Disgusting, family, murderous piece of shit just disappeared without a trace. Which I don't ever understand how anyone disappears without a trace. But especially this guy, when they've been hunting him down for 50 plus years, I don't understand. If he's still alive, Elmer would be 92 years old. Uh, I hope he's like really old and feeble and suffering some sort of degenerative, debilitating disease. Or I hope he died a really slow, painful death. That's my Christmas wish for him. I know it's too early for Christmas, but oh well. If you have any information on Elmer's whereabouts, you are encouraged to contact International Crime Stoppers. The number is so there's the country code of 31, and then the number is 0885543240. Again, the number is country code 31, and then 0885543240. I'm also going to post the number in the show notes and on the Instagram where I'm going to share some photos, and one of them is going to be a sort of aged up like they do for the police do an aged up picture of what they they think Elmer would look like. So yeah, if you think if you look at the pictures, you think you know something, give give International Crime Stoppers a call because we we really want to find out what happened to this asshole. And if he's still alive, he needs to be brought to justice because you can't just kill your whole family. That's rude. And yeah, I guess that's that's where we are for now. And I can't please call if you know anything. And I'm I'm sorry this case was such a bummer. Most of the cases I do tend to end with people in jail. I'll try to have a better episode ending for the episode next week. No promises, but I, but I will try. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, even though it was pretty gnarly. Um, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram. It's Have Murder Will Travel. I always post pictures related to the case. Like I said, I'm going to post old pictures and then an aged up sort of version of Elmer. And I'll also post that number to International Crime Stoppers again. Please call if you know anything. But don't be an asshole. Don't call and make up shit. Okay? Only call if you actually have a tip. You can also find the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can always send me a nice email at Have Murder Will Travel at gmail.com. 
Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.